Hello humans, hello humans. It's uh, still the 14th. It's about uh, 10.30ish. Heading out now, heading outward bound. So I have to head inland to do purchasing of almost any kind. And then I have to head out to the coast, right? And I go until I hit the water and I stop. And that's where I live. Um, interesting, though. I was talking earlier in the previous podcast about this idea of um, uh, seed oils and inner abdominal fats. Turns out that these inner abdominal fats, the fat in between the internal organs in the abdominal cavity, uh, are hugely uh, aging in the sense that they, they, if you have the fat stored um, interabdominally, it puts pressure on the organs, causes all kinds of problems, and you end up with um, uh, deteriorating health and a rapid aging. So you can overcome this. Uh, they've done some analyses, some uh, kinesiologists and stuff, right? And they, you know, they put on various different kinds of gear, had people exercise and so on. They found out that um, these inner abdominal fats will release and uh, be shed even after things like um, liposuction and stuff, as long as you stop the seed oils because the seed oils create those. And so you don't want to have any kind of seed oil um, uh, intake because it'll put you into this particular kind of a process and build those back up. But if you do burst exercising, so they're saying like um, uh, intense, intermittent kind of exercises, so not like, you know, 20,000 crunches, but like lots and lots and lots of real fast crunches uh, in a short period of time, uh, then that works, right? That'll work. Well, there's another aspect of this that they didn't examine in this um, study on the on the fats, but uh, they're it's not like they're easy to shed, but you can easily set yourself up into a process to whereby your body wants to shed the inner abdominal fats, and that is by a combination of these burst exercises. And I'll get to that in a second. And um, uh, systemic enzymes. Now. Uh, what you want is not just digestive enzymes, but you want those in there, but you want systemic enzymes. So uh, bromelain and some of these others, um, the pep, peptinonides, I think they're called, um, they're systemic enzymes. And so they circulate through your system and they they basically help attack the fat and get it in a position to be shed, even if it's been caused by seed oils where it's not quite really fat. It's a, um, uh, a puffa, a fatty acid, a polyunsaturated fatty acid. Um, and so the body doesn't have a real easy mechanism for getting rid of these, but if you take the systemic enzymes, uh, that keeps a situation going where it aids that. And then if you do this, the burst exercises, well, there you go. So I know a guy who, um, he's in like maybe 54, uh, mid-50s, and he has that um, uh, pregnant man look, right? He has the, the bulging abdomen. He, when he breathes, his abdomen doesn't really move. Uh, he's doing all of his respiration in the upper part of his uh, lungs. It's called all kinds of, caused all kinds of health issues. He's been going to doctors for 
you know, like monthly, weekly kind of thing for a long time trying to deal with these issues because it's affected his, his health in a, in a very deleterious way because of the breathing, because of the pressures that the inner abdominal fats put on the organs, which then in turn push back on his breathing. So he has... Um, uh, breathing problems at night, all these kind of things, right? He's got to have one of those sleepy machines where that it blows the air into your snout, um, so you don't don't snore and have heart attacks, all of that kind of thing, right? He gets AFib as a result of this, and so this was maybe, let's see, so this would have been October. Uh, I was telling him about these enzymes in the. Um, the approach, my approach to the burst exercises, to the intense exercises. And my approach is to simply buy one of those um, reasonably cheap uh, zapper belts. Okay, these, they're these uh, exercise belts, or I don't know really what they're called. Um, I've got an old one and I use it occasionally on some of the muscles that need uh, stretching and, and uh, so on. But um, uh, you, you spray water on this on the belt on the inside of it. It's got Velcro and you wrap it around your gut and you, and you put it on and then it's got a little tiny uh, battery pack and it sends little bursts of electricity uh, into the muscles of the abdomen. And uh, it does it in a particular uh, pattern of, you know, like one, two, three, four, and then uh, 20 of them real rapid and then a break and then one, two, three, four, and then uh, 20 of them rapid and then uh, four real deep ones and then so on, right? So it has this irregular pattern and that's what you're after is the irregular pattern part of it all. Uh, it's okay to have a programmable one even if it repeats the same pattern constantly. That's okay as long as there is a, a disruptive nature within the pattern. As long as it's not, you know, the same amount of electricity for uh, you know, 20 seconds or whatever, so that it's um, a variant and it causes this uh, dynamic, um, basically instability within the muscles. They quiver a little bit and this causes the, uh, the basically it, it gets the body to thinking it's got to get some energy here and it, and it starts using that because of where the electricity is directed and starts working on the inner abdominal fats. And uh, so this guy I know, like I say, it was probably October, maybe it was early November. Uh, I was talking to him about it, and man, he's he was really quite noticeable. Okay, he had to he had his shirts; they could never really quite button. If it fit him in his shoulders and his arms, it wouldn't fit him around the middle. So he's had all kinds of problems as a result of this. Uh, but he's like hugely reduced now. He's like lost over a quarter of the the mass of the. Um, uh, that used to push out from his abdomen. His doctor is really pleased. He's down to uh, uh, one visit a month, sort of like a maintenance, you know, how you doing kind of thing. He's off a lot of the drugs he used to take. Um, and he's, he's feeling a lot fitter. And he's getting a lot more muscle tone, too, because uh, the little electric jolts to the abdomen uh, have a tendency to, like, sort of energize the whole system. And he's out there doing regular exercise now, going out and being much more... Um, active and uh, so on, right? So it, it does work. I've known other people that have done it. Depending on how large the uh, mass of inner abdominal fats is, it can take a, you know, a year to lose, but it's continuous, it's steady, so you see the progress, so you don't really, um, you don't really sweat it much, right? As long as you don't eat the seed oils. And so um, some people they get into hidden seed oils and they're just not aware that they're getting them, but that's just enough to keep it triggered and they run into these, um, 
uh, barriers or uh, periods where he's sort of they're sort of in limbo, and it's because there's a hidden source of seed oil in their diet. And uh, this guy was talking about he he found one in his breakfast cereal. He thought he was eating some, you know, high quality uh, cereal for breakfast. Uh, I don't know the whatever he told me the brand name at one time, but I didn't remember it. But it, you know, it's not your regular old. Um, you know, uh, uh, cornflakes or anything, right? But in any event, it was uh, it was made with seed oil. And once he eliminated that, uh, his um, weight loss and the, the mass loss uh, came back. And now he's at that point where the mass loss is much more noticeable day by day by day than it used to be when he started. So the further you progress into it, the, the uh, more the results show up. Anyway, so it, it does work and you can do that. And maybe it'll keep the space aliens from snatching you and, and wanting to snort your fats. Really, they huff them. They don't snort them. It's a question of um, they uh, burn them. Um, so there's I've got a developing theory, right? And so this developing theory uh, goes along in the ideas that uh, the space aliens landed here. Uh, they pretended to be gods for a bunch of our cultures. They set themselves up as gods for a bunch of our cultures. Um, the L mucked about with us in our DNA. Um, and and we're all basically GMO, right? We're all basically gem- genetically modified organisms. Uh, I've had some discussions with some of our uh, some of my Ralph group, this is the uh, radical-ass um, uh, linguistic fuckers, <laughs> right? Basically, it's a bunch of uh, old retired uh, linguists, right, uh, doing uh, research that is not bound by institutions. So I've never worked for an institution, that, and I never signed an NDA, and I'd always off be doing side hustles and inventing shit, this sort of thing. So it's never really been a big deal to me. But some of these guys I'm working with have been uh, corporate creatures all their lives, you know, 35 years at the, at the same organization. Uh, one guy um, uh, there was working for Lockheed Martin, and he was like 37 years Anyway, so uh, so they appreciate, these guys appreciate being able to just explore this stuff without any kind of a constraint on the uh, what we learn and where we're headed with it. And some of the things that we've come up with are mm, perhaps a bit disturbing. Um, it's At some level it's factual, and then you go over to the uh, speculation as to the why. So we have a lot of facts, and then we come up and we say, okay, now why did this occur, right? And so one of the things we can ask is, why did the space aliens come here and invade at the end of the last Silver Age, right? Um, And they were invading, and they dominated the 2,400 years of the last uh, previous Bronze Age. And then some of them, the L, stuck around for most of the Kali Yuga. But then they took off. All right, so we can speculate. We can say that, well, there's indications that the L, um, as well as the other space alien, all the other space aliens that the L came with or were fighting with. We don't know how that occurred. So the L may have arrived here independently. They may have been part of this larger body and split off with them. Nonetheless, the larger body left uh, many centuries, uh, perhaps uh, over a thousand years, before the L ended up leaving. 
And um, this is the whole abandonment thing with the Jews. This is the whole second coming thing. This is the whole Messiah thing all wrapped up with the L because they said, hey, we're going to come back, right? And the L were attempting to genetically modify people. We, we know this is factual because the um, Judeans recorded and the Jews, who are not Judeans, who are Khazarians, who are Ashkenazi, in their Talmud and everything, they record that... Um, uh, it took like a hundred, hundred plus years for Adam and Eve to be created, and um, that's when the Jewish calendar begins, is with the creation of Adam and Eve. But there were humans here for, so that's not the first persons, right? Those are not the first men. There were, there were uh, millions, billions of people that had lived here prior to the L creating their uh, GMO products, and we know that we're GMO because we've discovered some interesting stuff here. Uh, it's been known, but it hasn't been discussed, and um, it's coming out in an interesting way at the moment and in its circulation, okay? So here's, here's the thing. Um, we have a machine and a software uh, for uh, genetically modifying things. Okay, so we call our machine CRISPR. All right, like you got some crispy fries, okay? So this implies heat, this implies frying, right? And so we call it CRISPR, and we don't call it um, insertomatic or um, the insertion machine or anything. We call it CRISPR. It's going to burn stuff out. And so here's here's the actual facts of the matter. You get a lot of these um, fringe people uh, that will tell you that, oh, you know, blah, 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 genetically modified, cloned, um, all this kind of thing, right? And this is all horseshit. Uh, maybe aliens can do that, but there's no sign of that, okay? So, um, we humans cannot insert genes, uh, into DNA cleanly, all right? It took, uh, Fauci's people like five years just to get the the spike protein to attach to the outside of a coronavirus. It wasn't monkeying around with any of the DNA of the coronavirus. It just got this thing. It took them that long to get it to attach to the outside. So our CRISPR works not by inserting genes. It, it has not got that capacity, okay? All it can do is burn out a gene sequence. And it's not that precise in how it burns it out. So you get a lot of collateral damage. And so when you try and do GMO kind of things, you get a lot of wonkiness simply because it's not very precise. Our machinery and our understanding is less than super efficient. Now, on the other hand, that's also true of the L. Okay, the Elohim were not that good. They did not insert genes. So humans have 23 gene pairs, right? And so uh, our 23 gene pairs are one gene pair less than most of the other primates. There's a couple of primates that have um, 28 gene pairs, but almost all of them have 24. So we are superior than, in, arguably, than apes, etc., etc. We're the dominant, uh, probably the dominant native species on the planet. Um, but we have one fewer gene pairs than most other primates. So it worked by destroying a gene pair on us. Now here's what we find. If you actually look at human DNA, uh, we can see that we're GMO'd. 
because there is a artifact of the burnout process in our second set of gene um, uh, attachment in our DNA. So if we go down and we go through all of our genes and, and check them all out, uh, our gene pairs, all 23 of them, when we get to number two, we find that uh, if you look at all other primates, we don't have the number two and the number three organized the way that all other primates do. We have our number two uh, indicating that there used to be two genes there. It is an artifact of being crisped, of being burnt out. So they burnt out what used to be our number uh, two gene, and therefore three became two, etc., etc., right? But there is a, a damage point at the old uh, number two, uh, where that, that attached. And it's uh, so our damage point is indicating that we were GMO'd and that they used CRISPR technology. So we are not a superior being by virtue of genes being inserted into our DNA. Um, none of the stuff we do with, with genes in any other organism is anything other than burning out and destroying some in order to cause change. So uh, not something that most people understand. So most of the woo people, um, oh, you know, like uh, Simon Parks or, you know, Kerry uh, Cassidy, any of these kind of people, right? Um, they think we can insert genes. They think we can just create shit. And this is what uh, the Kazarian Mafia wants you to believe this, right? They really want you to believe that it's possible for them to create a super virus by shoving all these, these genes into uh, a, a new organism or a super, um, uh, you know, like uh, bacteria or something, right? We can't do it. And you know that they would do it if they could. They're desperate to do it. They've been spending millions and billions of our dollars for decades and decades to do it, only to fail repeatedly, constantly. They cannot insert a gene. And even the L could not insert. So when they made uh, Adam and Eve, they took natives here and uh, created Adam and Eve. And um, for Eve, it took seven years after they had Adam as a pattern, and they used his genes to create her, the whole rib business, right? And uh, it took them seven years, and we don't know how many they killed uh, of their trials before they got uh, Eve. Um, you know, there's some of the numbers you can't really trust in our uh, the Torah literature because it's it goes to the idea of... Um, particular kind of understanding of numeracy and why they insert the numbers. But in any event, though, so we know it was, a, it was seven years, and it may have been hundreds, maybe thousands of attempts to create uh, female uh, for uh, Adam, and they failed. Wow. Uh, coastal hawk. Don't usually see those here. Um, they usually are just in the brush on the coast. Very fast uh, creatures. they they're almost as fast as falcons. A falcon can dive at over 200 miles an hour. Uh, coastal hawks are a little bigger. They've got bigger feathers and so forth, so they're not quite as fast. Maybe they'll uh, they'll certainly do over 100 miles an hour on a dive. And, um, you know, it's a small one-pound bird, but coming at you 100 miles an hour, that's going to hurt if it hits you. Uh, anyway, though, so... Um, so we've, we've got burnout areas in our genetics. We know we're modified. There are unmodified humans on this planet. 
okay? And uh, there's whole streams of them all over the place. Uh, and the, the Ashkenazis, uh, the Khazarians, and the Jewish society that they're wrapped in wants to destroy white people. Well, white people are GMO'd, okay? There's no question about that. Uh, we are the GMO on the planet. And, um, and the space aliens engineered us. They, they fucked with our DNA for everybody, uh, but they really did it for um, the white people, right? And so uh, we, have, we have suppositions about various aspects of the genetic modification of humans uh, from other primates. Um, let's just say over 250 million years ago, that kind of thing, right? So we've been around a long time. Um, but um, the, the nature of what the L tried to do with us is, uh, is still very interesting. And, and we don't know why they did it. But anyway, so, but on timing, um, I think there's reasons that the, uh, the space aliens came and invaded us at the time they did. I think that these reasons are involved with the energy from Galactic Center. And that's what, personally, I think that's what caused them to leave. I think that these space aliens uh, come from a place that's much closer to the center of the galaxy and in that sense they are like um, uh, habituated to or used to a certain level of uh, energy coming out of galactic center uh, emanations whatever kind of radiation that actually is uh, they're used to a certain level of it that's much higher than we'll ever achieve out here and that's why I think they built the Gons their their bubbles their electronic blisters that covered up huge areas of land uh, and these were to retain or hold in levels of energy so that the um, space aliens would feel comfortable and have more or less the same kind of environment they had had at home uh, with the same level of galactic center emanations. But at some point, we got so far away from the uh, angle that allows the galactic center to get the radiations back to us, and so that's our Kali Yuga. And so most of the space aliens uh, left before the Kali Yuga, before it got that bad. The L stayed around, so, so they were atypical relative to the rest of the uh, space aliens that came in this early expedition. And um, they hung around a lot longer. Uh, not necessarily a good thing. We don't know why. And then they left at about um, maybe a uh, hundred uh, BCE, uh, or a uh, hundred eight. We would think of it as hundred AD, hundred uh, current area. Still well within the Kali Yuga, even before the peak of it. Now, if if there was a, a galactic center connection through its emanations to our area to space alien invaders, so if there's a galactic center connection to the um, space alien invaders, in other words, they're coming from the um, areas where they get more of these rays, more of the emanations from galactic center, and so they're all pumped up on it and stuff, and they come on out here, and they leave... Uh, when it becomes too dense, so we have too little of those rays coming in, these guys leave because they just can't take it, right? And uh, it, it's just too bleak for them, so to speak. And they all take off. Now, if that were 
a reasonable supposition, and if that was a supposition that reflected a pattern in, uh, in fact and in history, then we could postulate uh, that they may be back, that the space aliens would come back and, and interact with us. But they would not come back and interact with us within the Kali Yuga. They would come back and interact with us as we got out of the Kali Yuga and got into the Bronze Age, the ascending Bronze Age, which is what we're in now, uh, they would come back because of the level of galactic center emanations reaching the area would be of a sufficiency for them to um, feel comfortable or whatever it is that, that uh, is causing them to react to it. And this is, again, speculation, assumption, right? But it is curious that uh, we have all kinds of reports of... Um, you know, space aliens carved into rocks and um, all this sort of thing. Mesoamericans chiseling very extensive, uh, multi-layered, multi-dimensional drawings of uh, space aliens and their craft using devices, this sort of thing. And all this happens before the Kali Yuga. Then we come into the Kali Yuga and we, we lose a lot of that impetus towards creating... Um, documentation about this, whether it's char carved in stone or, you know, written on a papyrus or whatever, right? But we notice that the documentation levels of this kind of thing drop precipitously as we go into the Kali Yuga. And then now, here we are on the other side of the Kali Yuga, and hey, you know, 1947, we get the... Um, uh, the the UFOs being seen near Mount Rainier. Now, they were, they were here before that, but we came out of the Kali Yuga in the 1700s. And um, so we're 325 years uh, beyond the Kali Yuga now, and look at how much space alien activity, or UFO activity, we don't know there's actually space aliens, but UFO activity uh, is showing up, right? So there's a whole lot more activity now than uh, was recorded, you know, two or 300 years ago. And it is not, in my opinion, uh, due to the lack of the ability of humans to record it in the past because we were so stupid or didn't have pencils or paper or whatever, or, or, you know, film and video and stuff. Rather, it is because we're out of the Kali Yuga and the um, UFO visitation is really ramping up. So this, um, this is an interesting idea that it may be where we are relative to the, the galactic center that induces a visitation by UFOs. And so if this is the case, then one may presume that as we go further towards galactic center and further towards the silver and golden age from within our bronze age, that we'll find more and more and more interaction with uh, UFOs and then ultimately interaction with, um, you know, whoever the hell is uh, piloting and owns these things. Uh, just just an idea, right? It seems so far to be holding water, this idea. Uh, we'll have to see if it progresses and maintains the same level of um, fulfillment or, or uh, integrity. So, you know, we could have all the UFO visits drop off and, and cease, like, right away, right? And just not have any more after this. I don't think that's going to be the case. They appear to be ramping up. We're having more and more and more on a monthly basis and in an annual basis. Uh, they're getting more intense and more bizarre as we go, go on. So I don't think that we're going to be into it like a downward trend. Thus, I think that this does have a tendency to support the idea that where we are positionally relative to Galactic Center 
is an aspect of uh, why we are being um, visited, right? It's an aspect of, of why we are attractive to them is uh, somehow interrelated to the fact that we, um, we don't have galactic sem- center emanations constantly. If we did, humans would be a lot smarter, everything would be a lot smarter, it would be an entirely different uh, solar system that we're in. So, that, that was just a, a bit of information about that and the CRISPR thing. So we know that humans are modified, genetically modified. Um, there are some, uh, I think they're deep state, we'll just call it that. There are some deep state studies relative to genetic modification of humans, and they're going out and doing a DNA sampling, and they're trying to get some of these groups that, that you know, are like isolated to provide DNA samples and so forth. And so I have heard that they're, that they've not found any uncrisped, they've not found any 24 gene um, uh, pair humans. There probably are some, uh, but um, they haven't found any. So everybody's got 23 uh, gene pairs, but they have indeed found that there's, uh, that. well, let me just put it this way. Okay, so uh, white people and Asians are most likely to carry the most damage in the gen- DNA at gene um, uh, adhesion point number two, right? And it really, what happened is that the gene number two, the gene parent number two got burnt out, and so our number three became number two, but there's an extra gap there. There's an extra little bit of um, space, so to speak, in the DNA that shows up. And... Um, as a result of that, they're able to pinpoint um, people with this. Now, everybody has this to some degree, but the level of damage is uh, more severe, uh, more telling in the DNA of white guys and um, Asians. Uh, I, I won't go into that, but there's this one guy that works for, I, I knew him at uh, Department of Fisheries, when it was still Department of Fisheries before it became uh, merged with wildlife. Um, Anyway, he was uh, in the uh, what what they called the head lab, and he did lots of DNA stuff on on fish. And he saw a number of uh, signs that, in his mind, uh, suggested to him that um, our food uh, animals and our food uh, plants had also been altered. Now, this is interesting because there's um, coincidental. Uh, physical relationships between our foodstuffs and humans. So we find that, um, for instance, there was a particular point where all of a sudden there was just a bloom of humans all through uh, South America. And at that same point, uh, we get uh, this one particular poisonous, very deadly poisonous plant uh, turns into over 300 varieties of potatoes. And that that occurred, those 300 varieties of potatoes, that differentiation occurs in an extremely small period of time, like over the course of 40 years, um, insofar as the fossil record is concerned. You know, we can't pinpoint it down to a particular year, but maybe it happened like in a particular year. But over this period of about 40 years, they've got a, um, 
the record of 300 varieties of potatoes emerging. And this is not alone. We also see this has happened with uh, maize, with uh, corns. Uh, we see it with wheat. Um, uh, we see it with all kinds of uh, plants and animals that uh, we end up then interacting with and using as food that did not exist before those humans were, were put there. So anyway, so I'm of the opinion that evolution as uh, described by Darwin is horseshit. That he left out so much of the evidence and ignored so much of the evidence and was uh, totally ignorant of the Kali Yuga and totally ignorant of um, our uh, previous human social or societies, right? So he didn't know about the... Uh, he, he, he was of the opinion that the pyramids were made in this current modern era. Probably he was of the opinion that they were created by the Jews because the Jews were saying, oh, well, we were the slaves and we built the pyramids, which is horseshit. Uh, the pyramids predate the last ice age. And so Darwin didn't know about a lot of this stuff, so he had a particular narradime that suggested that it was just straightforward, linear progression from cavemen to where we are now. And that's not the case. We go through these graded civilizations that then crash, and then us fuckers rebuild, and then it, and get a new civilization, which is what we're doing now. We're in the rebuilding process. And then it crashes, and it starts all over again. And this is coincident with the Kali Yuga, which is coincident with... Uh, much reduced emanations from galactic center. Uh, also in the Kali Yuga, we get um, human sacrifice, which does not appear, right? So they didn't even have war in the uh, Silver Age uh, in the Indus Valley with millions of people living there. There was no sign of war toys. Uh, there was no sign of arsenals. There was no sign of uh, religion at all. Right? There were no synagogues, churches, no buildings set aside for any kind of religious worship. There were no idols found. There was just nothing. They just hadn't, didn't have the concept. Anyway, so um, our interaction with the people that, that fucked with our genes and stuff goes so far as to include our foods. And a lot of the things that we consider to be medicines in terms of um, these kind of plants. Uh, we're actually, some of our Ralphs here, our radical-ass linguistic fuckers, we're also exploring um, uh, food and drugs, plants that were drugs, uh, because a lot of these appear to be GMO'd, right, long before we got to them, long before humans had CRISPR. But nonetheless, these things seem to show uh, that they, they also had uh, CRISPR impacts on them. Yeah, sorry about that. Got a bit of traffic stuff here. When we have traffic problems out here, it's usually really fucking dangerous because you're talking about uh, 50,000 pounds of uh, logs on a truck. You know, giant log trucks. Um, anyway, though, so so I'm very careful. We have new, new lines, by the way. The county came out and printed new lines. It's just, like, blinding. Uh, they won't last. Um, the tourists will wear them down really quick. So, um, anyway, so we're at that point where I think over these next few years, we're going to get into the serious uh, way, get into uh, space aliens. This is going to cause a lot of pressure on um, dogmatic religion, right? Uh, where people will say, I believe the Bible, 
And this is in spite of the fact that you can prove it was badly translated, that most of the Bible being the Old Testament. And so in spite of the fact that you can prove that the original language was not what is in English in any way, shape, or form, right? Um, uh, even though you can prove that factually, uh, they are dogmatic in saying that somehow this was their God that made these words appear uh, this way through these translators or whatever the fuck, and they're going to believe it no matter what, right? So they are they are, are a firm adherence, and that's fine. You know, I like people with faith. That's good. Uh, you know, it'd be better for me if faith could be based on fact, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but this is going to put a huge bit of pressure on these guys as we go forward because of the nature of what we're getting into here uh, with the discussions of the space aliens inevitably bringing up uh, GMO'd humans, GMO'd plants and animals, etc., etc., and the fact that all of our religions are based on space aliens. So almost all of the Vedas, all of the Mahabharata and the Upanishads and all of this are based on a space alien um, presence. That space alien presence was battling against what we need, we think was a, a residual civilization uh, from previous, uh, from before the Ice Age, a residual human civilization. But, but we know they were battling it, but we don't know, you know, uh, who was in what position or the, what the roles were or any of that. Um, but nonetheless, as you can see, this is going to cause some level of cons uh, considerable consternation uh, with religious people uh, when you come on up and tell them, you know, uh, that, hey, guy, the the word in your uh, Bible that's been translated to, to the into the word God is, in fact, in the original, it's just simply a word for the name for the space aliens. Uh, it's their name. And it doesn't, and we don't know what it means. It's just their name. And so, this could, as I say, this is going to cause some humans a whole lot of problems uh, as we go forward with, with all of this. Anyway, guys... Uh, going to be fun times. Uh, nothing like uh, massive amounts of change in your social order to get everybody all whipped up. Take care.